Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. So, um, 1 Samuel, tonight, we're going to be looking at a message called To Obey is Better Than Sacrifice. That is from 1 Samuel 15, 23. Many of us have heard that verse before. We're going to look at the context of that verse. And it's really going to be about the failed leadership of Saul. And uh, what was the old Charlie Brown thing when Lucy used to, he'd try to kick the ball and she'd pull it away? And uh, I think she tried to comfort him, if I remember the story correctly, by saying, well, you know, they say that you learn more from your failures than you do from your successes. And then Charlie Brown's response is, well, then I should be the wisest person in the world. Because <laughs> this is always happening to me. It's good to learn from other people's failures. In fact, that's the very thing the Bible instructs us to do. In 1 Corinthians 10, it tells us to learn from Israel's failures and not repeat their mistakes. We've looked at that verse several times here. I'm just going to have you write it down. It's 1 Corinthians 10, 6 through 13. Learn from Israel's failures and don't repeat them. Now, some of us have uh, used other people's failures as a lot of motivation. Maybe it was a failure of a parent, and you said, you know what, I don't want that to happen to my family, so I'm going to learn from that failure Uh, Maybe it's been your own failures. I would hope that we've all learned from our own failures and gotten better, amen, in terms of our own personal walk with the Lord. But tonight it's going to be about watching a man's failure as a leader. I would suspect, if you're like me, that we've become pretty cynical about leaders, Um, not just government leaders, but even spiritual leadership. Because we've been let down by a lot of people. And sometimes we might even have in our mind that inevitably this person's going to let me down. I hope you don't think that way. But sometimes that's just kind of in us because we're so used to disappointment. And even maybe sometimes when someone appears to have, you know, uh, taken the long haul and been successful in leadership, maybe we might look at them cynically anyway. Like, what are they really up to? Well, there are some good, solid, sincere leaders that have stood the test of time. And that's what we want to be. We're not going to be perfect, but we want to be consistent. And to obey is better than to sacrifice. What does that mean? That means what God really wants is your obedience, not your religiosity. He doesn't want you to think that church attendance and service and giving and whatever else it is that you do makes up for a lack of obedience. So you can live the whole week like you don't know God, but you can say, well, I came to church on Sunday. That's really not what God's looking for. Now, God is gracious to us. We're grateful for his grace every day, but Really what we want is church to just to be kind of the frosting on the cake. And sometimes church is the motivation for us to have a good solid week in the Lord. But the point is, is that really, this is not just an Old Testament concept. Jesus said, if you love me, then obey me. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, Lord in Luke 6, 46 and not do 
what I say. So at some point, every Christian is confronted with the lordship of Jesus Christ. Yes, we're saved by grace, but we are saved unto good works. And those good works, we are to walk in them. And so I think sometimes it's easy for Christians to maybe lean so heavily upon grace that they forget that there's things that God has called us to do. He's called us to be salt and light. So let's pray. We're going to need all the prayer we can get. Father, (laughs) we thank you so much for this time together. Thank you for the time of worship. Now as we worship you through the study of your word, we want to worship you when we're done studying this text because we know that worshiping you is offering ourselves as living sacrifices to be holy and pleasing to you. This is reasonable in view of your great mercy. Help us, Lord, because we feel like we fall short so many times in so many ways. So empower us. And we know Saul is kind of the foreshadowing of a man after God's own heart who will do God's will. And then David foreshadows the ultimate David, the the greater David who is the king we really need, one who lived, uh, died for us, and empowers us to live for the kingdom. So help us not forget as we read about Saul that there is a king who came to help us in this journey that we have. So we lay this time at your feet. Take us where you want us to go. Open our ears that we might hear what you have to say to us and we might respond with obedience. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Samuel 15, verse 1. Then Samuel, 1 Samuel 15, 1, said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Now Samuel has not appeared in our text uh, from I think 13, 15, and now he is here again. And he reminds Saul that the Lord sent him to do the anointing, and he he placed Saul as king over his people. That's verse 1. And he says, in light of this, or therefore, because this is true, because I anointed you, because the Lord set you aside as king, listen to the words of the Lord. The word listen in Hebrew is a familiar word to many of you. It's the word shama. If you transliterated it into English, it would be S-H-A-M-A, shama, or shama. Um, You're familiar with that word maybe because you're, realize that that's the command in Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, that's Shema, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So the word listen, this is from the Hebrew uh, word picture dictionary. He says the word Shema means hear, understand, and obey. The word picture describes how all these function together. If I hear the name, I see the essence of something. If you tell a thirsty person not to drink the water in a glass and then leave the room, they will be tempted to take a drink anyway. But if you tell them that the glass is used to clean out the sewage so that they see the name or the real nature of the water in the glass, they now hear uh, so that they understand and then they will obey. Because God is called the name or Hashem in Hebrew, the word picture carries a stronger meaning. Job argued with God until Job 42.5. He said, I have heard of you but by the hearing of the ear, but now I, my eyes see you. Therefore, I repent. When Job saw God, the name, 
He understood who God was, and he was changed. So the point of the word here is it's not just simply meaning to listen. It's meaning to listen so that you listen so well that you perceive and understand, and that perception or understanding turns into obedience. Um, Samuel is certainly not saying, I just want you to hear my words and then just go on with your day. He's saying, stop what you're doing and listen. Every teacher, every person who preaches, uh, anybody who shares the gospel regularly is hoping that a person didn't just listen, but that they intend to act upon the words. Remember when Jesus concluded the Sermon on the Mount and he said, I'll show you two kinds of people. They both hear my words, one acts upon them, and one does not. The man who acts upon them is like a man who built his house upon the rock, and the other one, he hears the same words, but he does not act upon him, has built his house upon sand. So the telltale sign of a serious listener is to back it up with obedience. How many of you have ever had this conversation before? You have instructed your child about something, maybe your teenager, and then you return home and you see that person doing precisely the opposite of what you instructed them to do. And you say, apparently we have a failure of communication here. Because what I told you to do was A, B, C, and you're not doing it. What? What? Ever gotten that look before? What? I, I, didn't, I didn't understand it that way. When I said it, I was particularly clear. Knowing how you are, this is not personal or anything, I'm just <laughs> sharing something that might apply. Right? And you, you've laid out what you think is very clear detail. Somehow, something didn't connect. And at some point, you kind of go like this. Either I'm not communicating clearly, or option B. <laughs> Apparently, you don't take me too seriously. Because I look into your eyes and I see a nod of your head. But then, when I would expect that that nod would trans be translated into action, there ain't no action. And the same thing applies from God our Father to his children. So the word goes out. The same audience hears the word. What does God look for? He looks for people who take him seriously. Not pe just people who have it go in one ear and out the other. The Bible says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not, what? Sin against you. So at some point a Christian has to ask a question. And the question is this. Am I serious about what I hear, what I read, what is preached to me. Uh, in, in fact, and I quoted this to you when we uh, started to look at Saul and David. It was said of Saul in 
this is uh, Paul's sermon in Acts 13, that the son of Jesse, David, is a man after my own heart, listen to this, who will do all my will. What differentiated uh, David from Saul was that David desired to do God's will. Now, did he do it perfectly? No. But the Son of God did, and the heavens opened at his baptism, and the Father said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am what? Well pleased. In John 8, Jesus said, I always do those things that please the Father. Paul says, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and through me. My desire as a Christian should be obedience. It should be to seriously follow the Lord. I don't care what anybody else is doing. I don't care how other people justify partial obedience. It's my responsibility before the Lord to walk in his ways. So what we have is a transitional chapter in chapter 15 we're going to move from David, excuse me, from Saul in 15 to David in chapter 16. Saul is going to be left behind. The kingdom is going to be torn from him. And this is how important this is, you guys. It's going to be torn from him because he would not obey God. Simply put, where do most Christians fail? Where do most Christians fail? Where uh, is the main issue if you would ask someone who regularly did counseling where do most christians fail sometimes we would say okay maybe it's a failure to understand some concepts and we certainly run into that where you know you sit down with somebody you make some assumptions and they really don't know and then you have to tell them oh well this is what the word of god says but for most christians it's a failure to obey god's word it's not necessarily a lack of knowledge. Why do Christian marriages fail? Why do Christians marry non-Christians? Maybe they don't understand the issue. It's possible. But it's really because they've decided not to obey God. And we know what happens in those cases. Now look at verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he set himself against him on the way while he was coming up from Egypt. Now, Samuel's approached, he's the prophet, he's approached the king, he's told uh, Saul, listen up, and he speaks a word from the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek, this is the Amalekites, for, for what he did to Israel, and how he set himself against him on the way while he was coming up from Egypt. Now, with that thought in mind, I want to show you why this is such a um, terrible judgment by God against Amalek. Go to Exodus 17. Genesis, Exodus, second book. The word Exodus, if you want to remember what it means, it means the exit from Egypt. Exodus 17. Let's pick it up at verse 8. So um, we just have the incident here of the testing of God at the waters and God providing the gushing of water as Moses struck the rock. And this is uh, verse 8. So right after the Lord's provision and a miracle, it says in Exodus 17:8, then Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose men for us and go out, fight against Amalek. It's the first time they're going to deal with an army other than the Egyptian army, but God dealt with them, of course. 
Tomorrow I will station myself on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. And Joshua did as Moses told him and fought against Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came about when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. It's the picture of the power of prayer. The raising up of the hands is all over the book of Psalms. Sometimes you guys might wonder, why do Christians raise their hands in worship? Well, this is all over the book of Psalms uh, in one place. And it has the idea of extending out praise to God. It's uh, to offer my prayer, to offer my, uh, you can think of it this way, it's, it's, a, it's a way of saying I surrender to God. It's a way of saying, Lord, I need you. It's stretching out your arms to his holy temple. It, I've even heard somebody put it one time that it's the letting go of the things that so easily entangle and the receiving back of God's power. Of course, in many ways, it's just symbolic, but... It's one way that we express worship to God. You ought not to be embarrassed about the raising of your hands, but as any good Bible student, you ought to ask why we do it. Well, it would appear that in this particular case, Moses had that staff, the rod of God that he had used all through the different plagues, and now he's probably got it in one hand and extending it out like this. And as he held up his hands, they would win in the battle below. But as soon as his hands got tired, they would start to lose. And so two, two of the brothers came up and held up his hands. And it reminds us that a life of worship is the key to victory. Amen? So Moses' hands, 12, were heavy. They took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side, one on the other. This, thus his hands were steady until the sun set. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword, then the Lord said to Moses, write in a book, this is important for our text, as a memorial and recite it to Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar, this is important to remember as well, and named it, the Lord is my banner. And he said, the Lord has sworn the Lord will have war against Amalek from generation to generation. Now, I want you also to look at another key text in regard to this, and this is Deuteronomy. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Go to chapter 25. We're going to look at verse 17. This is about four decades later. They're about to enter the promised land. Uh, Deuteronomy 25, look at verse 17. Moses records this. He charges Israel with this command. He says... um, 2517 Deuteronomy. Remember what Amalek did to you along the way when you came out from Egypt, how he met you along the way and attacked among you all the stragglers at your rear when you were faint and weary and he did not fear God. Therefore it shall come about when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your surrounding enemies in the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance to possess you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Notice this. You must not forget. Now what God said is, because of what Amalek did to my people, they were weary from the journey, they were tired, and this uh, 
people who were kind of a nomadic people. They dwelt in the Sinai Peninsula in the southern tip of Israel in the, in the Negev, or the, the Judean wilderness. And they attacked the children of Israel. They attacked the stragglers from behind. And by no means was Israel, at any, in any, by any stretch of the imagination, an army that was used to fighting anybody. They had just been delivered. They were all these people going through the wilderness. God had fought for them at every turn. And now Amalek attacks them. And God says, for that reason, I'm going to blot out the memory of these people. Now, some of you are with, were with us Sunday, keep going in Deuteronomy and go to chapter 32. We looked at the wrath of God. Paul told us, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And he said, leave room for the wrath of God. We are to trust that the Lord is going to take care of things. And that's why we don't have to repay evil for evil because vengeance is mine. When Paul quotes that from Romans 12, he's quoting from Deuteronomy 32. So I want you to look with me at Deuteronomy 32 and look at verse 35. Here's the verse Paul quotes. Vengeance is mine, 32, 35, and retribution, NIV says, it is mine to avenge, I will repay in due time, their foot will slip. For the day of their calamity is near and the impending things are hastening upon them. For the Lord will vindicate his people and will have compassion on his servants when he sees that their strength is gone and there is none remaining bond or free. And he will say, where are their gods, the rock in which they sought refuge, who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering? Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your hiding place. See now that I am he, that I, I am he, and there is no God besides me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded, and it is I who heal, and there is no one who can deliver from my hand. Indeed, I lift up my hand to heaven, and I say, and say as I live forever, if I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold on justice, I will render vengeance on my adversaries. I will repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood and my sword will devour flesh with the blood of the slain and the captives from the long-haired leaders of the enemy. Rejoice, O nations, with his people for he will avenge the blood of his servants and will render vengeance on his adversaries and will atone for his land and his people. Now these are the principles that are found in the Bible, not just the Old Testament. Go back to 1 Samuel, go to your right. But in the New Testament, when we read the next verse, many of us cringe at the terrible judgment with which Saul is asked to execute God's plan. And we go, really? Wow! This is what people talk about, the God of the Old Testament, right? Man, I mean, wiping out women and children and all this stuff. Well, I have news for you. This is not just the God of the Old Testament. Because if you read the New Testament, you find that Paul, first of all, Jesus talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. Then you have Paul talk about Jesus coming in flaming fire to bring retribution on his adversaries and to deal out vengeance. You have Peter talking about the day of the Lord and that God is going to destroy the world with fire. And John just sums it up in a little book called Revelation. And in Revelation 20, he talks about a lake of fire. And, 
anybody's name who's not written in the book of life being cast into the lake of fire. I just quoted you all New Testament books. Oh, the God of the Old Testament. I don't know. Two people named Ananias and Sapphira who happened to lie about uh, the money they got from the land and God killed them both. That's the book of Acts. That's the New Testament. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org. Hey, this is Pastor Michael. Thank you for listening to Living Truth Radio today. Excited that you've joined us. Tell a friend about the program you're hearing here. And please keep us in prayer. We have some uh, exciting open doors for new radio stations. We have some exciting opportunities for some new time slots. And we could really use your prayer and your support. If you can give to the ongoing ministry of Living Truth Radio, we'd deeply appreciate it. It takes funds to be on the radio, and we're not a huge congregation, and we appreciate the support that we get from radio listeners. You can give to our ministry through our website at livingtruthcorona.org. If you're anywhere near the Inland Empire and you don't have a home fellowship, you're not connected with a local church, we'd love to invite you to Living Truth Christian Fellowship. The radio ministry that you hear Monday through Friday on your station or on the weekend is really just a extension of the normal pulpit ministry in the life of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. And for those of you who are out of state or out of our area, we consider you family members as well. Uh, Living Truth certainly doesn't replace your local church, but we know you listen and we know you're praying for us and we appreciate it. Thank you for the support that you give to us, the encouragement, the emails that you send. We we deeply appreciate it. And we know that even when you don't send an email, that you are still part of what's going on and part of the listening family. And we, we appreciate you and we look forward to interacting with you again. If we can be of any help to you, send us an email or a message through the website, livingtruthcorona.org, or you can call us Monday through Friday. We're here 9 to 5 Pacific time at... 951-735-2856. God bless you. Thank you for listening and we'll catch up to you next time. Thank you for listening to today's program. Our mission is to get the truth of God's word out. This is our passion. We want to impact as many people as possible, and we have an opportunity to expand this radio program, and we need you, the listener, to partner with us in prayer and in giving. You can give to our ministry through our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. Hey, I want to invite you to visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org to get more familiar with our church fellowship. If you live in the Inland Empire and don't have a church home, come and worship with us. We have a wonderful church family that meets here in the city of Corona. Our service times are 9th and 11.15 a.m. You can get more information about that at the website. That's livingtruthcorona.org. God bless you.